The year is 2004. The Electronic Entertainment Expo, or E3, home to hundreds of game announcements. But a new game has hit the floor, a new demo that is described as the action of Devil May Cry merged with the puzzle solving of Eco. You have this Spartan warrior doing battle with the three-headed Hydra on a boat that's sinking. The action was fast and exciting. The graphics were amazing for the time, and the violence was excessive. The game was God of War. And welcome back to The More You Nerd, where we talk about the best franchise return for video games, God of War. So, Drew, do you remember the what was called God of War, the Hydrabata demo coming out? I don't remember that specific demo, but I do remember that being the opening portions of the game itself. I, I have very, very faint memories i don't know if i played it like at a kiosk in best buy or toys r us or something to that nature i don't think i owned it i don't think it came in a jump pack or a psn magazine but i do remember playing that level and like you said for the time the graphics were insane they were cinematic it, re- it reminded me of the feeling i got the first time i played metal gear solids demo yeah where i was playing an epic Greek film. And we should probably set the stage for for folks who didn't play that game, uh, because it is 15 years old at this point. You have uh, Kratos, our our main character of God of War, who is this this blanched white, muscle-bound dude with these red tattoos on his face and body. And he's on the ship, and the ship is attacked by the Hydra. And it's dark and it's pouring rain and the Hydra has three heads and you see all three of these heads come out and you have to to jump from these from these masts on the ship to attack one head to where it hits the ground and then basically impale it with part of the ship in order to keep it from coming back up and attacking you while you're attacking the other heads. And you eventually get all three heads impaled and you've killed the Hydra. And what an experience in 2005 yeah, and, to see yeah, this. And if I recall, and it might be maybe it's on hard mode, if you don't do it fast enough, the head will kind of come back off of the mast. I believe that's true because it'll rip that'll rip out of the deck. I, again, this is all this is all from memory. Yeah. It might have actually happened that way or it could just be that that's what we remember because it's cooler to remember it that way. Well, that and I mean it plays to the impression in terms of the the kind of blockbuster cinema quality that that this first demo promised. And I mean <sighs> While I, I and I, I mentioned this last week, while I kind of became sour in the franchise later, my first impressions of this game were things I can't say on the podcast right now. <laughs> like, I mean, it was, it, I mean, just expletives and superlatives. I was blown away by this demo. Let's back up and talk about what this is. So we're talking, of course, about God of War. 
it released in 2005 for the PlayStation 2. I can't believe that the PlayStation 2 was that far in the past. It's it's pretty insane. We were just trying to track back where we were in life when this game came out, and we both remembered kind of being in high school, and we weren't at all. Nope. Definitely, definitely in college when it happened. But you know what? That's okay. Uh, so it was created by David Jaffe, who was also the, the game lead for this. Uh, Jaffe was also responsible for the Twisted Metal franchise prior to this, which if you remember Twisted Metal, it is the one, it's the car combat game with the clown driving the ice cream truck. Which is, it's, a, it's weird to me that that franchise fizzled out the way it did. And even it's, it's kind of comeback with the reboot it didn't really set the world on fire the way I kind of hoped a Twisted Metal Return would, because especially if you if you were a player of the PSX back in the day, like either you or your buddy had that game. Twisted Metal One, great. Twisted Metal Two was fantastic. Twisted Metal Three was not. Was that good. PS Two? No, it's all PS One. They were trying to capture this this new mythology base th- there was a, another game released by capcom called onimusha which uh was about a japanese shogunate castle that was being attacked by this sort of japanese mythology demons uh, it's, it's hard to explain because we didn't do all the research on that but jaffe wanted to do that but with greek mythology and so he drew heavily heavily from the the movie clash of the titans uh if you remember that claymation masterpiece it, hey it's a lot of fun but he was also drew a lot of inspiration from the the magazine heavy metal which uh way back in the day we covered the the animated film of heavy metal how would you describe heavy metal magazine to someone who has never heard of it before miles a fantasy science fiction comic anthology uh, known for its mature themes and often including sex and violence in gratuitous fashion and I'm glad that you mentioned that because we should talk about the gratuity of this game. This is 2005. Yes. Video games have existed and they have been cinematic before this. Mm-hmm. But one thing that video games rarely ever featured on the mass market on the mass market was nudity. We talked about that Hydra battle at the beginning of the of the game and and you kill the Hydra and you sail into port and you are then greeted to a bed surrounded by courtesans in the all together ready to do a sex based mini game where the camera pans away and you just get different things you're supposed to do on the controller as the better you do it, the more moans and, and sounds of pleasure happened from the bed that you can't see what was your first reaction to that drew when you if you can remember like what what was your actual first reaction i think because again i remember i remember this being more the high school attitude it was uh we're quite cool i was like (laughs) i mean that's kind of the reaction of of a a silly laugh i'm i'm there with you but i also remember thinking it's cool that they are at least approaching sex at all i didn't think you could do that in a mainstream game and i know they were one of the button pushers that kind of as far as like your console games pushed that forward a little bit not not to say it didn't ever exist in console games before or or games at all because they absolutely have but in terms of something that you're going to be selling in walmart in toys r us and best buy it's not often that 
sex, especially as even though it's it's off the side, as explicitly implied as that game is. And it was there to be that it's there to titillate. Yeah, exactly. That's this this game specifically the first one and on and on because that mini game because it was such a big part of the first game had to be in god of war 2 had to be in god of war 3 and they had to do more with it then uh it's it's one of those things that is that adolescent male power fantasy Mm -hmm. that you expect it to be and and that's and it's it's that reaction to it that makes me think that I was in high school when this game came out because that is when (laughs) a game like that would have been like, oh yeah, this game is so cool and rad and mature and all of these terms that as I get older, I realize how kind of goofy that whole scenario was. Right. And not to speak ill of Heavy Metal Magazine because that's not all what it is. There is some excellent stuff in heavy metal magazine but if you watch the movie you kind of get like there is a little bit of that attitude in there and and that is clearly shown as the is inspiration for a mini game like this yeah so to move on because this game is way more than just that you do have our starring hero kratos who is at the time called the ghost of sparta which is a great name. It's a really rad name. It's, and there's a lot of really cool stuff in this first game. He is the the sort of chief general for the God of War, Ares. And Ares has sent him on a number of different missions. And in one of those missions, Kratos is... Oh, we should also mention Kratos in binding himself to, to Ares has been wrapped with these chained blades uh, that that burn into his arms called the Blades of Chaos. And he can throw his arms out and he'll throw one of these blades and, and he can do all the... And it'll retract in like a grappling hook, but with a blade at the end of it so that you can kill things. Not really sure how else to describe that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's about all you can do. I mean, it, it... But because he has these chained weapons... It informs the gameplay because the action is mostly combo based. It is it is getting upgrades to your weapons like you do in Devil May Cry and trying to do the sickest, like most linked amount of combos you can for damage and for points and for scores. And you eventually get different abilities that you can attack upwards so you can grab a flying harpy enemy out of the sky and rip it down to you and then rip its wings off in the most gory bloody fashion possible but kratos at at the time that we opened the game he is on the outs with Ares because he was in this blind rage because of something that Ares had him do and kratos unfortunately is responsible for the death of his own wife and daughter by his own hand because of the rage that Ares put into him as part of this. Well, and I think part of it was like he, that Ares put his family there knowing that he would kill them so that he could focus solely on being an agent of war. Yeah. You've got this tragic backstory. You've got this path for vengeance against Ares, the god of war. And you go up against all of these ancient Greek mythological ogres and 
and uh, other gods that you have to kill. And at one point, Kratos is killed as part of the game, and he ends up in Hades, and he has to fight his way out of Hades to be the alive again. The platforming in that part is such an annoying... It's the most annoying thing, I think, in any God of War what game. But it was extremely epic, mm-hmm. and it was really cool, despite the <laughs> despite the the sex and mini game it was a great fun game that you you had this brutal angry individual who growled and yelled more than he actually spoke although he did speak all of this is true uh, and the the critics loved it it has a metacritic score of 94 based off of 75 critical reviews it sold 4.6 million copies worldwide it's one of the best-selling ps2 games of all time and when the ps2 era ended it and its sequel were consistently among the top 10 of best games of generation oftentimes with the game taking the first spot I have you can't stress hard enough how difficult a Metacritic score of 90 or above is. It's not like Rotten Tomatoes. M- Metacritic as an aggregate judges what the review says. And if if the review itself has a score, it takes those things into consideration. So it's not just, oh, it was positive or negative. A 94 is indicative to the feelings towards the game as a whole. Uh, the only one off the top of my head outside of the God of War series for the PS2 that I can think of is Persona 4. That I think had like a 92. It might have been 94 as well. They're not they're not easy to come by, and especially in that era, they were not given out very often. And to be honest, I mean, I remember playing that first game and being kind of blown away. It was like if Sam Raimi and Michael Bay had gotten together and made Clash the Titans. Yeah, that's it's a very appropriate way to describe it. While at the same time, I thought, well, there's not a ton going on with Kratos, Kratos, you do feel his rage because of the death of his family and finding out the grotesque reason that he is pale is because his family's ashes were grafted onto his skin. Yeah. Like, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot going on. It's definitely, you know, kind of a hard R very, it feels like playing the cover of a metal album as a game. Yeah. If, if, if there was a concept record about the Greek myths, this, this would be it. And there's probably a Led Zeppelin song that's about this game. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely people that have done stuff like this. I just I just remember coming away from this game being like, wow, that was a really epic experience. As far as like the actual gameplay, it was very smooth. Like I said, there's a lot of combo-based action. The puzzles are not too difficult, but they're there. I mean, they're they're ones that you have to think about for a little bit, but they're not. They're not like Eco, and they're definitely not like other puzzle-based games, and they're not as obtuse as, say, Resident Evil. <laughs> I mean, there, there's, it's, it's, <laughs> but the puzzles themselves are a lot of okay. You have to move this giant, this giant machine into place and avoid the spinning blades that come out of it. So, all of, with all of that said, the game was a tremendous success. Of course, mm-hmm. success breeds sequels. Oh, yeah. So that leads us to God of War 2. God of War 2, Kratos starts out as the God of War, having killed Ares at the end of the first game. Spoiler warning. In taking on that new role, we also have someone taking on a new role behind the scenes. Dave Jaffe has stepped down from Sony Studios, and in his place is an individual named Corey Barlog, who was the lead animator of the first game and has taken over as 
lead game developer for God of War 2. From here, I would say uh, Corey's story is going to sort of parallel to everything we talk about for the rest of the evening. I feel like his his real life and his creations run a similar thread. Well, with, with doing God of War 2 and who he was, and you feel like probably who he was in life, to the creation of what we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, the 2018 God of War. Yeah. So to to Cliff's notes, the story of the God of War games for two and three, Kratos is the God of, of War now. He is betrayed by the other gods, principally Zeus, who we also find out is his father, uh, because Zeus gets around, let's face it. I, I just remember thinking that was so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, God of War three involves... Kratos being stripped of his godhood, but still being very powerful, trying to rouse the Titans. The if you go back to Greek mythology, the people that that Zeus killed and imprisoned, the progenitors of the the Greek gods, to to bring them out to attack Olympus and destroy Olympus and Zeus for good. And he is ultimately successful. Surprise, surprise. But what did it cost? my attention honestly <laughs> a- after two i was a little burnt out on on kratos i thought that two was really fun at the same time it was like a lot of sequels a little more the same but bigger and better it's just in the same way that resident evil 2 doesn't reinvent the wheel it's more of what made resident evil 1 great just bigger and better and and i will i will actually argue with you about this because god of war 3 also marked a change in platform we have now moved into the playstation right. 3 era high definition video all uh, just bigger more hardware to work with and those opening moments of god of war 3 kratos is literally crawling up a mountain but you find out that he's actually crawling up a gigantic titan that is crawling up a mountain so there's this amazing like it's it's again gorgeously rendered for the time big bigger but more bombastic crazier things that you're doing and it reached this pinnacle of the series and it also story-wise reached this end point they're done it's it's zeus is dead olympus is destroyed all the greek gods are dead spoiler warning (laughs) but and we now have kratos standing alone and and i feel like history has proven me right that sony did not know what to do with this franchise you have a consistently critical darling blockbuster sales of course you're going to make more but what happened was they released a prequel game, God of War Ascension, in 2013, but its sales were lower. It has an 80 Metacritic score, which, while not awful by any means, demonstrated a sharp decline in quality and interest. And by that point, it seemed like the Ghost of Sparta may have been shuffled off to the afterlife for good because this caused a huge ripple in Sony. There is kind of a, of a long-standing thing in media where... The second you make a prequel, that means that your story going forward's not going to be particularly good. And it was not. I mean, we see that we see that in Star Trek with Star Trek Enterprise, uh, and to a lesser extent, Discovery. You see that with well, some will argue Star Wars. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah, I was, I was say I would argue against Discovery, but I'm not going down that road tonight. We did Star Wars, <laughs> Star Trek last week, <laughs> but. 
But the second that you have this big final exclamation point ending on a story in a video game, and there's no more of that story to tell without it kind of treading over stuff that's already been told. And so you make the prequel. It's a big ask to have people come with you that love that stuff. Clearly, the game did okay. It didn't do terribly, but it was not nearly as highly regarded as we talked about. And that was 2013. The world was changing. We were moving into the PS4 era not long after that. And it was time to put Kratos to bed. Yeah, and I was fine with that. And for this this episode, both Drew and I watched a documentary that you can watch on YouTube on the official PlayStation account called uh, Raising Kratos. I, I will say, because this informs a lot of our information about the making and the production of God of War 2018, I would honestly, I would highly recommend it as just a good documentary about game development. I We were both kind of trading text back and forth at our surprise about how relatively honest this documentary was, how deep it went into some of the setbacks and some of the warts of game development. I mean, obviously they're not going to show full crunch or something like that, but they still showcase that there's some, some hard work and sleepless nights here. And I was legitimately depressed, I mean, impressed to its quality as a documentary. I, th- I think it's excellent. And if you are someone who is interested in game development or the stories behind the games, if you've read Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreier, you will absolutely love a documentary like Raising Kratos. I thought this was going to be a fluff piece about the making of God of War, and it was a really well-done, emotionally driven, I would say, diary about how this game was made. Yeah, and and they were clearly making it from the very beginning, largely because God of War is such an important <laughs> important facet of it. Let's, let's flash back and talk a little bit about Corey Barlog, because he as we mentioned, was game developer, game lead on God of War 2. He leaves Sony, because keep in mind, the God of War games are developed by Sony in-house. It's a Sony Santa Monica studio. He left Sony because he didn't want to be labeled, quote, as the God of War guy, end quote. Uh, so, Which I totally get. I get it. I mean, when you're young, at the time he would have been in his late 20s, early 30s, he would have been wanting to make his thing. He didn't want to be chained down by someone else's idea. And I totally understand that. And this is where things get interesting as we start looking at what would happen. Uh, So Sony Santa Monica is, is opening a whole new arm of the studio, a whole new development house. And they're working on a game called internal seven. Internal Seven was going to be this futuristic sci-fi shooter. Uh, you may hear me say would have been because this is a game that never came out. It was canceled and I had not even heard that it existed. So while this is going on and while Internal Seven is in development, Sony Santa Monica needs somebody to lead some of these new expansion efforts. And they reach out to Corey Barlog to come back and to work on a God of War game. And he starts working and he has this idea this idea that reflects who he as a person is now versus when he was working on god of war 2 i really love this perspective because not only does it inform the game itself it really does kind of tap into how a person changes and how how that 
dictates how they tell stories. We see at the very beginning of this documentary a child on set as mocap performances are happening and looking at TVs and and you see Corey interacting with a small child and so you're given the information that that's his son. He goes into how the theme of being a father changes your perspective. Uh, ideally, having someone like Kratos being a dad instead of saying, oh, he was once a father in a cutaway cinematic. The idea that before with God of War Ascension, they were treading water rather than driving forward. We needed to take Kratos into something else. We needed to grow the character. From from hearing this, and I, I feel like if I had heard this right after watching the first cinematic demo for God of War when it was announced at E3, I would have been more excited for this game. Drew, I know you were someone who was very excited for this game. I was. And and so this is where we need to talk about where this game starts. This this game, this and it's going to be confusing because it's also just called God of War. <laughs> they didn't call it God of War 4. They didn't call it God of War Daddy Issues. They just called it God of War. But I think that was the best thing to do. I agree. Ultimately, I do. It just makes it complicated. Well, when you think about God of War, well, it's different from God of War. But that's us talking about the two things back to back. The big change is that Corey Barlog comes into creating this new God of War game as a different person. He's a father. And fatherhood changes you. It changes who you are. It changes what you think about. It changes how you respond to different things. And this is something that longtime listeners of our show prior to reboot will hear in that I started this show. My son was not born yet. My, that show went on as my son got older and my daughter was born and how I responded differently to things as a dad. Now I am impacted by watching certain things on TV that it never was before movies. I can't deal with kids being in danger anymore. Uh, there is a particular scene in the Twin Peaks reimagining that I knew that was coming. I will, I knew that never, was coming. <laughs> I will never be able to forget because it makes things it makes things different. I, I remember when you watched that. I remember when we if you go back and listen to that Twin Peaks episode that we specifically talk about, you can hear Drew's voice tremble. And I'm not making fun of him, but the way that he reacts to stories is intrinsically different as a father than someone like me who is not, or even to who he was before. And I I am in love with this idea that someone who has personally learned that and was formerly on these games came in and said, we need to give this same sort of development to this character. And they almost didn't. They almost just made a brand new character. No, they decided this is where he needs to be. This is who he needs to be at this point. It's however many years later, it's in this whole new area because we've moved from ancient Greece to Scandinavia to, to Norse gods country. <laughs> and, and we are opening this game opens with, oh, it's, so beautiful. it's gorgeous with, it's, with, it's the, it's the, it's the opening cinematic. They, they debuted at E3, wasn't it? Uh, I, it's slightly altered, but yes, because because they don't obscure because the the E three cinematic. Oh yeah, obscured Kratos. Obscured as Kratos a to have a reveal for him. It is is Kratos and his his son Atreus, who are basically burying this person. They're 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 
Kratos's wife, Atreus's mother, has died prior to the events events of the game, and she has tasked them to cremate her body and take her ashes to the highest peak in the land. In all the realms. In that's, all that's the a, realms. That's a, that's a key phrase. That's a key phrase. You're right. I remember watching that and thinking the kind of like jerk in myself was like, I'm still not going to get excited about a God of War game. But I still objectively remember thinking, well, that's really well done. And if you watch the E3 reaction, which is shown in the documentary, it's insane because, and this is this is what makes the return such a big deal and why we chose it for our return episode for video games, is as soon as the journalists, the fans, everyone in that theater who saw Kratos walk out, got on their feet and started cheering. It is an impactful, impactful moment. I remember watching that, that because it opens the, the, the Sony E3 press conference in 2017, 2016. Which means there's probably a more your nerd reaction to it where I'm probably, <laughs> probably where I'm, so. prob- I'm probably being a jerk and be like, yeah, whatever. Well, and it starts with this, it starts with this symphony, this, this, with this choir singing this like super bassy Nordic chant. <laughs> and, and and it's a live scoring too. They live scored this while Corey played the demo. Yeah. And uh, Bear McCreary, uh, who is most probably notably known for doing the Battlestar Galactica remakes music. And he also recently did the music for Godzilla King of the Monsters. And it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. he's He's known for doing a lot of, chanting kind of stuff in his music he's there conducting this orchestra as they're showing this on screen and and it opens sony's press conference and it is amazing i remember watching that and being blown away and i'm not a tremendously huge god of war fan because i think of god of war as being that really polished action game that was hyper violent they showed us this that immediately immediately seems more I want to use the term mature, but not but in mature the, in a different way. But mature in a different way. Mature in 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 like an actual emotional developmental way, and not in a rated M for mature way. Right, which this game also is. <laughs> which this game also is. There, there is some brutality in this game. Mm-hmm. It, but there is something about the way that it's shown here that even. Kratos's rage in these moments in this game feel more grounded and feel more real. So they you, do. You've got. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. You've got Kratos, who who we learned through the course of the game has not been extremely present for his son, and the son has interpreted that because the son is probably ten or eleven at the start of the game. Uh, the son has interpreted that that he that Kratos doesn't care that he goes off on his own, that he does his own thing. We learn through the course of the game that that's not exactly the case. Kratos has his stuff that he's been working on because he's trying to be a better person. And his wife understood that, which is why she never stopped him. But there's some, you know, Kratos doesn't really know his son that well as part of this, much like his son doesn't really know him. You have this opening montage of, of Kratos testing his son by sending him on a hunt on his own because 
he's got to be able to do that if he's going to be expected to do any of this other stuff on this long trek that they're going to do. And it's like it's it's heartbreaking. Well, you you you're 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 watching in real time the shattering of a young child's innocence. Yeah, in 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 a in a way, and and we see a very different kind of Kratos at first. He's he's cold and he's 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 seemingly uncaring, but it's to prepare Atreus for what he needs to do and hunt this 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 deer. deer. And and Atreus has a bow uh, created by crafted by his mother that he, that she had given him and taught him how to shoot. So he's shooting and, and he downs a, a deer, but he doesn't kill the deer with the arrow. So it's, it, this just, I, I don't have the words to describe the emotions that you feel in that moment of, of Kratos and, and Atreus. Well, fin- finishing so the job, basically what, even helps this scene. And again, if you've played the game, go ahead and, and watch this documentary. Even if you haven't, you're not going to be really ruined. But watching the mocap actors, they used real actors, uh, Christopher Judge from uh, Stargate SG-1, who does a tremendous job voicing Kratos. Yeah, Teal'c from Stargate SG-1 uh, for right. this specific character. Sonny Soljic, who was recently in uh, Jonah Hill's mid-90s, he's an excellent young actor. And I forgot how young he actually was. He turns 15 this year. So he was like he was like 10 or 11 when he was making this. Uh, he was younger than it, Atreus looked <laughs> in, in yes. the background of this. And I mean, this, this kid spent a portion of his life recording God of War. <laughs> but when you watch, and I, if you haven't watched a lot of mocap scenes being made you take for granted how much acting actually goes into it. they're basically filming a movie watching that scene play out even though you're watching a foam dagger and some blocks you you get everything that they're trying to communicate in that scene it's it's like drew said there's there's a degree of, of emotions that are are expressed wordlessly between father and son and then conveyed to the player that are not expressly spelled out for you. This game, and I think what makes it so tremendous, is an experience. When we first, when I first started playing this game, I didn't play this when it came out. I know, Drew, you did. I did, and yes. It was my kept, game of the year that year, I believe. And you kept telling me to play it. I played it this past winter when I decided to get PS Now, and they were offering God of War. So I just decided to finally play it. And my, my first reaction with the characters of Atreus and God of War, I mean, and Kratos, were that Sony has definitely learned from its success because the way that they present the story is identical in style to their other in-house, well, they're now their other in-house studio, Naughty Dog, with The Last of Us, where you have an older man and a young girl traveling through the United States in the same way that you're going to be having Kratos and Atreus traveling through the realms. The way they tell stories and the way that they consistently have character-driven moments outside of cutscenes, outside of story points, just you wandering around, they pick up conversation as people would. And this is something that I think Sony has done better than anybody else in gaming by kind of heralding this storytelling. I'm going to also shout out to the way that they tell the story in this game. Obviously they did motion capture for, for the actors. They also did facial capture and that comes through Mm -hmm. in spades in in the, the voiceless performance of, of 
these characters. Uh, obviously, you're only going to get so close when you do a, a facial capture for the actor's face and the face that you see uh, with the Uncanny Valley and all of that. But it adds a nuance that, quite frankly, wouldn't have been possible at all on the PS2 era, barely possible on the PS3 era, and, and just really, really works for this. Outside of that, they... They do something that is rarely used in video games, and I had to be it had to be pointed out to me that they did this in this game, but the second it was pointed out to me, I realized, oh, man, this is way more effective. And they they treat this game as if it is a single camera mm-hmm. shot. The there are no fade to blacks. There's no loading screens. It is the camera following these characters and swooping around them when it needs to to see facial captures and things like that, and then swooping back to get back to the action. But there are no cuts in this. It adds to the scope of the game because... So to to further uh, push the story along, as you have buried and then put your mom on the pyre, collected her ashes, you are interrupted by this crazy guy who attacks you. And you have this knockdown, drag out fight with them, not knowing exactly who he is. It's not really a a spoiler because it comes out fairly quickly afterward that it's uh, Baldur, the the uh, brother of Thor. It informs you, okay, we're we're involved with the Norse gods full on now. They are going to play a part in this story. I, I believe the reason he's able to find you is because one of the trees that you cut down for make your know- mother's. We don't higher. know that we don't know that at the time, but we do find that out over the course of the game. Yes, right. Uh, you 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 find yeah you and this is really it's not really an important story element in terms of spoiler. You were you were kind of shielded so that no one knew who you were, and now you're no longer shielded. God energy is coming off. So you are you go into the realm to seek the highest peak. That's kind of where the main story is. You are trying to spread your wife slash mother's ashes that takes you on a <laughs> quite an epic journey an epic journey with with again some some very memorable characters and i don't want to spoil too I like this is weird this game is two years old at this point but i still don't want to say too much because there are some really amazing moments to this game that even the trailers of the game will spoil but I, even then when you encounter your mungar I'm butchering the pronunciation of that, of that, the world serpent as it emerges from the water for the very first time. I knew it was coming. I knew that was what was going to happen, but it is intensely epic and heart pounding. It's fantastic. I also think it's very informative of what the series has done as, as a maturation, because we have seen a creature like him, before with the Hydra and several similar serpentine creatures since. But instead of a fight, there's a conversation. <laughs> He's your buddy. He's your friend. You eventually get a uh, encounter Mimir, who is one of the Norse gods that is basically a prophet. He knows all of history. Uh, and <laughs> you, cut off, you cut off his head and wear it on your belt the rest of the, the game. And... It sounds grotesque, but it's actually very, he's a very charming character. He tell, and he's the one who orders you to do it. So it's not like, yes, <laughs> he serves as a foil for Atreus to kind of as a secondary parent in terms of trying to educate 
this young boy. I think where this game really succeeds is not in the hordes of monsters that you have to slash down, which does happen in this game. There are plenty of monsters to slash down. And we haven't even talked about the new weapon and the new, oh, the, the way new that weapon. the whole thing works, but we'll get to that in a minute. We'll, we, we will get to that. To me, this game triumphs in its quiet moments. When you're setting sail to any location, when you are wandering around Midgar, when you are just going through the brush and talking to your son, these are what makes this game amazing. Those quiet moments to me make the game bigger. Where just when you're just hearing the sound of the paddle hitting the the water and you're taking in everything around you as you go towards whether you're exploring for the for the sake of it or if you're going towards a specific goal, this game does a beautiful job of telling you to take everything in. And I think that's so important. But there's subtleties to all of that too. That Absolutely. When so you if you've paid any attention to to the media around this game, even if you've played the game or not, you know that that Kratos refers to his son as boy. Come, boy. And a lot of that takes place throughout just the locking through. You know, Atreus is lagging behind, and you just, come, boy, and Atreus runs up. As you go through this game, there there's a lot of story that happens, and there's a lot of character development that is really, it's earned. It's all earned character development, in my opinion. Don't want to get too detailed, because I want you guys to go out and experience this game for yourself. But I will spoil one bit that there is a very marked point where Kratos, and they don't draw, they don't call this out. You just have to notice that at one point, and after a certain point in the game, Kratos no longer calls Atreus boy. He calls him Atreus when he Mm -hmm. wants that stuff to happen. And it is, it's that level of, of detail that, that just, it's so subtle but so meaningful. I love this game so much for that that stuff. I, and and it's because of that stuff. I mean, and the, the level design is fantastic. I, I do have my own personal criticisms with the game. I do have some actual problems with one, some of the writing and some of the general uh, game elements of it. I would still probably give it a 9.5 instead <laughs> yeah, of a 10. So, so some real big problems. <laughs> well, I mean, even, even maybe even a nine, just because, so for example, while there are boss like moments, I think the repetitious nature of some of the kind of mini boss type characters without the, without actual bosses do kind of make some things a little bit of a slog in terms of uh, progression. Like I wish there was more like actual boss type things. And one of the big awesome battles that you get, I I kept thinking, man, this is what I want. This is so great. And it's the only one like it in the game. (laughs) So things like that uh, did bug me a little bit while you still get, uh, you still fight certain characters a number of times. And there are bosses to a degree, I would like something a little more, a little more clean cut in that respect. I think some character writing was extremely inconsistent. Um, without spoiling anything, the character of the witch that you befriend makes a drastic turn, and it just doesn't really feel. See, I, I'll disagree with you about that drastic turn that it seems like she makes. 
because of the circumstances surrounding it. And and I get that. And 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 again, this is this is where this game succeeds to me is that the drastic turn is around being a parent. Being a parent, and that is what this whole game is about. And I just I get that. I but I don't think they wrote that section. It just didn't work as well for me as so much of the rest of the game did. I get what they wanted to do. It just didn't quite land for me sure, in that sure. respect. Most of the game, Atreus is is not annoying as far as a kid. He's a kid. But some like people all were kids, very annoyed by him. I, I some was people not. will kind of get edgelord and just don't like kids in the game. They, oh, what's this kid going on with Kratos? I, I, I don't care about that. But there is a legitimate point, and I'm sure every parent felt a little like justification in some of their exasperation when Atreus kind of has a section of the game, a small section of the game where he basically becomes a teenager for a little bit and is insufferable. He gets a little too big for his britches and he's and Atreus is kind of annoying in that part. He he is downright insufferable. It's funny at first, (laughs) but then it's, he talks back. He's, uh, it's very, very I think in my game, when you, you had to ask him a couple times to do certain things. Like he doesn't respond to some things as quickly. That might just be me thinking, <laughs> overthinking it, but I, I could have sworn that little <laughs> SOB did not hurry when I pressed X. And <laughs> I mean, I, I could be wrong. And, and the inclusion of him is interesting. It's very, very similar to Ellie in The Last of Us in that, or even Elizabeth in Bioshock Infinite, where while Atreus is kind of nigh invulnerable, he's not OP. He's not, he definitely helps you out in clutch situations. He's not useless. And I think that was the main thing is this character is absolutely an instrument for Kratos. It's not, it's your progression. It's not just that he's quote, not useless. He is necessary. Oh yeah. No, he's absolutely necessary later in the game. When you have to use these crystals, you can't use it really without him. (laughs) And if you, and if you level him up properly, he, he's downright like, all right, this is how we're playing this game now. So we should talk a little bit about the combat. I don't want to spend too much time because, because we've talked about the blades of chaos at the beginning of the game. Kratos does not have the blades of chaos in this game. He has something better. Uh, he has something better. If you're familiar with, let's say, I don't know, you guys might never have heard of this movie, but um, uh, Thor, uh, this this big time movie uh, movie character in these Marvel, it's kind of an independent series, uh, independent film studio. Not sure if you've ever heard of it. How he has this hammer that he can throw and he can call back to his hand. It's, I love it so much. Like, there is nothing like that, but it's an axe. (laughs) (laughs) Not only that, it's a frost axe. (laughs) The Leviathan axe is infused with ice elemental magic, and it is awesome. There are so many times in that game where I was just tossing the axe around for fun. It's so much fun that you get other weapons. You can also just do bare knuckle fighting. I barely except for some things that call for you to 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 not use ice magic i i used the axe way past the time i was supposed to start using other things (laughs) i mean the axe is is super super handy super cool the only time you ever punch anything is is when you the axe has been thrown and is stuck into an enemy (laughs) right and but it was just it was such it's such a well done mechanic too. the way that the axe works as both a melee and a range weapon is fantastic it looks great 
it feels very intuitive when you're when you're once you learn the combat that by the time you get to use other weapons which end up being very very useful i know i said i didn't want to stop using the axe but there are some points where you absolutely need to yeah one point and, in the game in particular but <laughs> yeah well there's yeah there's one point in the game where you you can't really use the axe because it won't work all of this would still not make a perfect game if Kratos wasn't written the way he was. He is very much set in his ways, but throughout the course of this, this journey, not only are you seeing Atreus grow into a man or to what will become a man, but you also see Kratos go from someone whose heart was still pretty, I would say solid to a much more empathetic father character. Indeed. And that I have to, I mean, we talked about Christopher judge uh, earlier on. And if you haven't watched that documentary, raising Kratos, go watch it because when he starts crying, talking about his own relationship with his children and how this game communicates that exactly. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you realize this is the reason why these performances in this game work so well, because there is there's there's so much heart going into this. This is Chris Chris Judge's reflection of his own experiences plastered onto this <laughs> Greek god. It's and, also another reason why if if you say video games are not art, I'm going to stop listening. Yeah, like I, and, I, I don't even want to hear the justification. I will stop listening. Full stop. Well, and and it also helps that that Christopher Judge and, and Sonny Soljic, I can't pronounce his name, I'm sorry, they clearly have a really great rapport behind mm-hmm. the scenes. They're and, really funny together. And they're really funny together. Uh, and it's very hilarious. Uh, there's one moment where they haven't seen each other in a while, and Judge asks Sonny who he's been working with, and he just nonchalantly says, oh, uh, Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman. <laughs> and Christopher Judge says, oh, good, nobody bigger than me. <laughs> it's, it's very, very funny. It was great. Oh, that made, that movie is also uh, the killing of a sacred deer. It is intense. <laughs> I can believe it, but but because they did so much of these these dialogue scenes in person, not just in person, not just in the recording booth, but, but like in their, actually acting them out. But, but in the recording booth together, or just acting them out on a soundstage in that crazy motion capture getup. I'm I don't know. I loved this game, Miles. You loved I, this game. I did love this game, and what? I was. What did the rest of the world think of this game? (laughs) Well, the rest of the world also loved this game. 3.1 million copies were sold in the first three days of release. After three months, it became the fastest selling exclusive in PlayStation history. It was basically, I want to say, universally loved. I think it has a 94 Metacritic score. And I mean, when it first came out, I just saw 10, 10, 10, 9.5, 9.5, 10. Like this game. From from respectable news outlets, it had more than 40 perfect game. 10 out of 10, five out of five scores. I, I, again, my, my little quibbles are why I wouldn't quite have given it a 10, which I know sounds like I'm being, you know, uh, pedantic. It does. But. It's because I <laughs> loved everything else about this game to such a degree that those little things took me out for just a moment. 
That's why I think it's, it lacks just being a 10 out of 10. That is not saying I don't think it's one of the greatest games of all time because I absolutely do. And for me to say that about a freaking God of War game <laughs> is a lot. But this game, I almost wish they had called it something else instead of God of War just to kind of shake off the franchise. Ah, but that's the thing. You have to call it that because I agree. I, I 100% agree. I'm just this, saying in terms of what this game does. This is what happens when a franchise grows up. This is what happens when you have a voice that had a particular way of speaking in 2005 and 2007 and 2009 and in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. This is what happens when you have talented people putting themselves into these games. And that is why this is our best return for video games. Because this is not just a continued success in a franchise. This is a reinvention of a franchise that takes everything that those games had before it and makes it better, makes it stronger, makes it smarter, makes it say something, makes it say something that it never said before. And I cannot wait for the next thing that I know they're working on. And I'm hoping oh, yeah. we'll, we'll get a tease for this year. Barlog said this was the first step of many steps to really define what the studio is. And the mission statement, I think that he gave for the, for this God of war, which I'm calling the first God of war was that the true challenge of parenting is not to sit there and hide the world from them, but to prepare them. I think that is the, the best expression to introduce someone to this game. That's, that is the core of this game. There is a secret post credit scene that you can unlock <laughs> that shows, yes, this story is far from over. I cannot wait to see what they do next with it. Even though this game subverted my expectations, I came in not really being that excited. I was one of those people that was kind of excited at the idea that Kratos wouldn't star in God of War. Oh, and and the initial idea that they were going to go to Egypt, I was like, that's where I want it to go. But now, having seen this, having seen also what they do with Norse mythology and the the insane degree of detail and research that went into making that world, but also the stuff they brought out from mythology, it's incredible. Totally. It's, if it, it's a it's a generation defining game. Absolutely, I. To think that God of War, which was already a, a signature franchise, could somehow get better. I just, it was, it, that I think is in its own right mind blowing. I, I agree. And, and like you said, this is why we brought it for our best video game return because we were, we were, I wouldn't say we were struggling, but we were coming up with ideas that I think were good. But I don't think any of them quite hit the notes that God of War does. There, there are, there have been returns and reboots and stuff that have worked exponentially well, but I don't think any of them. This is going to sound superlative, but I don't think any of them lift the medium in the way that God of War does. It sounds superlative, but I'm going to agree with you because it only does so because of what came before. If this was a brand new game just by itself that no one had ever seen any of the previous stuff, it would still be a tremendously fantastic game. I'm not going to disagree with that. But it's a game that is going to constantly be compared to its predecessors. And 
which I'm also finding meta commentary about the fact that it's about a father and son and constantly and as as kind of the original God of War games were because Kratos was Zeus's son and there's this constant comparison between your predecessors there I just I'm I'm finding meta commentary even here as we are recording this show it lifts the franchise up it lifts gaming up it does something that is really really special and it also does it with something that I think people are getting a little tired of which is ironic considering how against they were for every type of game that wasn't this. But I, I got to say, for the most part, I'm a little tired of every big franchise game having to be open world. That was slightly a bit of a turnoff for me at first <laughs> when I was like, oh, it's an open world game. Well, I don't really have time for that right now, so I'm not going to do it. Once I started playing, I was like, I want to platinum this thing. <laughs> it's, I mean, like I can I can do a couple every, every couple years. Like I can do Spider-Man and God of War and I can do a handful but I don't need every game to be open world. And so the criticism that a game is quote unquote too linear is silly to me because if a game has a straight story to sell, to, to sell I'm okay with that. It's so funny that the, the story is so personal that I forgot it was an open world game. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And that's, that's the key difference about this game is you are constantly, even with side quest, even with just, Oh, I want to find this random treasure. You're so this game really turns you into Kratos. And I don't mean that in a silly way. I mean, you a game like this, and being open world as it is, it conditions you to think like the character, to do things as if you were the gar- character. You are making your own movie, your own epic adventure. And that is one of the great things about gaming is that it can it can put you in this position that we, none of us will ever be in. But we can live out this story. I think this game only could have done that in open world. And and honestly, one of my other minor criticisms is it's not open enough. Like there are some realms (laughs) that are really, really kind of shortchanged, I'll say. Uh, They got to save something for the sequel, Miles. They got to save something for the sequel. I know. Like I was fine, not full on, like not going to one of the realms, I think. And that's fine. I I know they were setting stuff up and the post sequence. Yes, they are. And I'm, I am down. I am as I said last week, down to clown. Speaking of saving things for the sequel, <laughs> I think our time with God of War 2018 has come to an end. All right, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. And we need to talk about next week's defining return. Next week is a little different because it's not something, it's, it's not an IP that had been long dormant per se it's it wasn't necessarily canceled but it was something that i think had been removed from the mass media at large and ignored for specific business reasons only to be brought back and that is the x-men franchise next week we are going to look into the house of x dawn of x initiative that marvel put forward this past summer and a little bit into the current X-Men titles as a whole as part of this, I don't want to say reboot, but this new push for the franchise that they have been largely ignoring for a good while. It's amazing what buying out your competition will do. Right. And that was kind of my point about making this. Drew was like, well, you know, 
sell me on it. And I was like, well, this is, this is, this is the reason why I think, and we'll go into it next week. But uh, Jonathan Hickman is a writer who has defined uh, many franchises with his run. And he is currently spearheading the direction of the X-Men as we know it. And so next week we are going to look into a little bit of the history behind the kind of shuffling away of the X-Men and what this new run entails it's a uh, it's a lot in terms of what's happening because Dawn of X and House of X and Powers of X are dense. Spoiler warning: they are really rad too. So we will get into that next week. If you would like to reach out to us, and we would thank you for doing so. We don't have any emails this week because we're kind of stacking these these relaunch episodes, uh, recording them before we've released anything. So might cut them in anyway. <laughs> yep. Uh, so if you would like to reach out to us about Star Trek: The Motion Picture, about God of War, about the X Men franchise, reach out to us themoreyounerd at gmail.com. That's themoreyounerd at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook uh, with facebook.com slash themoreyounerd and at Twitter at themoreyounerd. We would love to hear from you guys. Hear what you guys think about us coming back. Any feedback that you have for our new episodes that we have been putting out because we are trying to do something new and fresh for our own relaunch. And we would like to hear how that's going for you guys our listeners so so until next week we will end this episode like we always do with a rousing nerd out out. (laughs) boy